This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, this is Jesse of sffaudio.com. We've got a great podcast here for you today. It's a short story called The Code of the Poodles by James Powell. It's read for us today by J.J. Campanella. Jim Campanella has narrated a previous story by James Powell, found in SFF Audio podcast number 30, and we talked with James Powell in episode number 20. But today's story is from the October 1990 issue of Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. You can find all the links on our website, and I think you're really going to enjoy the story. It's, it's funny, it's clever, and almost plausible. The Code of the Poodles by James Powell Small or not, Aunt Flora's living room was a cozy place with its bright oriental rug, pewter-colored woodwork, and decorative plates commemorating the royal visit to Canada in 1939. But Toby was sure she'd never have kept the room this hot. Only a moment ago he'd been wiping the last of the snowstorm from his eyebrows. Now he felt so drowsy from the heat he almost dropped his drink. Of course it wouldn't really be a code. It would be a cipher, admitted Lita Belgrave, screwing the top back on the bottle of rye and smiling seductively at Dr. Hill across the coffee table. The doctor beamed and wiggled his pear-shaped forward in the chair as though the large, coarse-faced woman were a comfortable fire. I've never been able to keep those two straight, dear lady, he admitted. Then there's a little trick for remembering, she said. If you give a number or a symbol to every word of the dictionary, you've made yourself a code. Give one to every letter in the alphabet, and you've got a cipher. Then Morse code is really... A cipher, nodded Lita. Oh, you're so quick, Dr. Hill. How nice of Toby to ring you by. It's tedious sometimes being pent up all day with a dog. Not that I'm complaining. Believe me, Peach's mimosas are real joy. She aimed a nod and a stiff little smile in the direction of the miniature apricot poodle who watched them with intense black eyes, her muzzle of tight curls down snug on the upholstered arm of the wing chair. Sounds like all you need is company, smiled the doctor. Toby raised an eyebrow. This wasn't the way they'd planned things. Clearly, Dr. Hill had his own agenda. When Toby's Aunt Flora died last year, she left everything in a trust fund for the care of her beloved peaches and named her housekeeper, Lita Belgrave, as the dog's guardian. Toby considered contesting the will on the grounds of mental incompetence, for toward the end of her life, his aunt, convinced the dog was trying to communicate with her, had spent much time and effort trying to break the code of the poodles. But his lawyer advised against this. After all, poodles do not live forever, and as the will stood, Toby would eventually inherit everything. A patient, unenergetic young man, Toby might well have taken this advice. But he did not like Lita Belgrave, for when he learned that she had taken up his aunt's work in poodle communication, it occurred to him that that might just make her crazy enough to be declared an unfit guardian for the dog. Toby was rather sure the man at the bank who was executor of the estate would agree to have him named to replace her. Then Toby could move out of his pricey little apartment into the house that would one day be his. As for Peaches, he bore the dog no ill will. May she live forever. Still, Toby might not have acted on this thought if one slow, rainy afternoon 
Dr. Owen Hill hadn't come into the curio shop and attempted to sell him an ornate inkstand made from a horse's hoof, claiming it had been given to his great-grandfather by the Marquis de Lorne when he was Governor-General of Canada. Dr. Hill insisted the hoof was from Lord Clyde's charger at Balaclava. Toby had heard similar claims made of several such inkwells. In fact, his Uncle George, Aunt Flora's late husband, insisted that Lord Clyde's charger must have been more centipede than a horse, or else one of those fabulous creatures like the five-legged chicken found only in the poultry parts section of the supermarket. In the end, Toby declined the inkstand, but when he learned that Dr. Hill was a psychiatrist, quite recently moved to the town from Halifax, his interest had quickened, for the man carried the whiff of the shady about him, which suggested that, for a consideration, he might tailor a diagnosis of Lita Belgrade to fit Toby's needs. That had been the real purpose of their visit. If he now found the doctor untrustworthy, Toby knew that he had no one to blame but himself. Let me get this straight, said Dr. Hill. Your friend Flora thought her poodle was trying to communicate with her using Morse code? Lita nodded. See, there's peaches with her paws and nose on the arm of the chair. Right now, it's paw, nose, paw. Flora said, let's call that dit, da, dit, the letter R, and so forth, and so on with every combination including no nose or no paws showing at all. Dr. Hill had been counting with his thumbs on his fingertips. Uh, but dear lady, he objected, two dits and a da won't go far. I mean, unless I've lost everything from my scoutmaster days, wouldn't that limit the poor creature to only eight letters in the Morse alphabet? Lita was jubilant. Great minds think alike. That's just what I told Flora. Me, I've always favored the ear semaphore or wigwag. She slapped her hands together suddenly. Toby, who was starting to nod again, almost lost his drink a second time. The poodle's fat, curly ears perked up. There, you see, she said. The creature could wigwag us a message if she wanted, but she won't. Why? Spite? Honoriness? Who knows? Maybe the cat's got her tongue, suggested Dr. Hill. Lita uttered a throaty laugh, reached over and slapped her knee, then said, The Boy Scouts, was that how you met our poor sleepy, sleepy friend? She crooned sleepy, as if to nudge Toby over the edge into slumber. But Toby resisted, struggling to focus his eyes. Hardly, said Dr. Hill, and, embroidering on the lie he and Toby had worked out between them, said, No, we've got a mutual friend in the curio game. I'm new in town. You know, camped out at a hotel with most of my things in storage. Toby's helping me apartment hunt. When we found ourselves in the neighborhood, he said, Hello, I know someone around here you'd enjoy meeting. So here I am, dear lady. What a charming place. The woman made a thoughtful noise and stared for a moment at the window and the slant of the blowing snow. Then she said, What a pity. I mean, here I am, a lonely lady with rooms and rooms to spare. And there you are, a sociable professional gentleman, looking for a... At this point, Toby, who could tell where things were heading, gave up the fight and drifted off to sleep. In the first of his pleasant dreams, he saw himself bursting in on them in sweaty flagrante delicto, waving a court order revoking Lita Belgrave's guardianship on the grounds of moral turpitude. In the second, 
he was Gustav Dorr's angel with a flaming sword driving a jaded and middle-aged Adam and Eve wrapped in bedsheets through the gates of paradise and out into the weather. Toby slept long enough to awake refreshed, but before he could open his eyes, he heard Lita say, Come on, then. Let's let Toby sleep. I'll show you the rooms. Lead on, dear lady, said Dr. Hill. While Toby watched through half-closed lids, Lita used the neck of the bottle of rye to help herself get to her feet. Then, keeping her grip on the bottle, she headed toward the staircase with the doctor in her wake. Sitting there alone, it suddenly came to Toby why his Aunt Flora hadn't made him the poodle's guardian in the first place. He'd bet money it was the gerbil in the blender business when he was ten. He shuddered, remembering. How could he have been so cruel? As if to make amends, he looked over at Peaches. Good girl, he said. Good girl. But when he turned away and reached for his watery drink, the dog raised her head and shook it until her ears cracked like little battle flags in a windstorm. As if this was a signal, Rusty, Lita Belgrave's rutabaga-colored cat, jumped down from the windowsill and hurried out of the room and up the stairs. Peaches returned Toby's gaze for a moment before carefully setting her muzzle back down in the upholstery with both paws arranged on the right side. Dit, dit, da? R, wondered Toby out loud. The dog raised both paws and winked her right eye. Then she raised her muzzle and winked with the left. Slowly and deliberately, she repeated the same combination of paws, nose, and winks. Fascinated, sure the animal was trying to tell him something, Toby put down his drink, sat up straight, and watched. Now the poodle winked her right eye. Paw, paw, wink, nose, while simultaneously raising her ears, making them into a lazy V. Suddenly, Toby had it. V, he said out loud. Dit, 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 da. A right-eyed wink equals a dit. That makes a left-eyed one a da. Good boy, Toby boy, signaled Peaches with paws, winks, and nose. Now, was that really so hard? Before the astonished young man could answer, the dog continued. It took poor Flora forever to figure it out, only to have the shock of what I told her snuff out her life. I miss old Flora. Her baby talk was a bit much, but she was a damn fine tummy rubber. She... Somewhere in a block to the west, a dog barked urgently. Peaches cocked her ears and repeated the bark. She didn't turn back to Toby until she heard her bark echo to the east. Sorry about the interruption, Toby boy, she signaled. But it's seven years bad luck to break the chain on the dog telegraph. By the way, if you're in southeastern Chile over the weekend, stay out of the mountain valleys. Moderate earthquakes may cause landslides in low-lying areas. Distant laughter came from upstairs. Peaches glanced at the ceiling and said, Toby boy, I've gone to a lot of trouble to communicate with Flora and now with you. Why? I'll tell you why. So the dead can be avenged. You see, I saw Belgrave kill your Uncle George. I was there in the room when she put the poison in his glass. You what? demanded Tony. Then he lowered his voice and, looking toward the stairs, whispered, You saw her murder Uncle George? Correct, said Peaches. But you don't have to whisper. Rusty's my lookout. We've struck a deal. The dog shuddered. Believe me, I pondered it long and hard before going in with a cat on anything. 
Their minds are so damn devious, and their appetites so hideously perverse. I mean, how can you figure an animal that has to sit down every time it scratches its ear? But anyway, I knew I'd need an accomplice to be lookout and stuff like that. If Belgrave suspected we were talking, I'd be in really deep trouble. She knows I saw what she did. I'm taking the risk because, well, I knew you'd want to kill her and avenge your uncle's death. But why would she murder Uncle George? demanded Toby. Belgrave could not handle him the way she could Flora, replied the poodle. She knew George wanted to get rid of her, so she killed him. With George out of the way, she'd have Flora for a meal ticket for a long, long time. Peaches stopped and waited for Toby to say something. But Toby didn't know what to say. He didn't like Lita Belgrave. But he wasn't going to kill her. He wasn't going to kill anybody. Speak, Toby boy, speak, signaled Peaches. When he didn't, she added, Look, we can work out a real slick way to pull it off. No one will have to know. Except Rusty, of course. That's the price of his cooperation. You see, cats have this real weakness for human eyeballs. Fresh kill, of course. So he'll have to be there. Toby swallowed hard, and then a horrified, unsteady voice said, I guess we better let the police handle this. Yes, that's the best way to go. Peaches threw up her paws in disgust and looked away. Then she thumped her chin back down on the arm of the chair and signaled, you humans have a large helping of the hyena in you, the way you expect others to do your killing. The dog's black eyes flashed. For God's sake, Toby boy, let's see some outrage. Let's see some moral indignation. Doesn't blood and honor mean anything anymore? Your Uncle George loved you. He taught you the cure your business. He was a fine, generous, loving man, agreed Toby. Well, his murderer is going to walk as they say on television, signaled Peaches. The police will never pin anything on her at this late date. Toby boy, you can't let her get away with it. You've got to kill her. Hell, I gave it a shot that same night. I tried tripping her up at the top of the stairs when she was drunk from celebrating the dirty deed. But rage made me sloppy. I bungled the job. She's been on her guard ever since. With Flora dead, she mostly keeps me locked down in the cellar, in the dark, with no one to talk to but the rats. Okay, look, wouldn't that be enough, getting Lita kicked out of here for mistreating you? Asked Toby. Metals have gone too far, said Peaches. She's made me feel the toe of her boot too many times. Listen, Toby boy, I'll be up front with you. It's really me I want you to avenge, okay? So let me sweeten the pot a little. Kill Belgrave, and I'll teach you how to predict earthquakes like the one they're going to have in Chile over the weekend. Sure, there's a trick to it, but it's so simple you'll kick yourself you didn't catch on. A guy could turn a nice buck predicting earthquakes. I'm not going to kill anybody, insisted Toby. In a flurry of signals, Peaches said, For God's sake, Toby boy, is that it? Are you going to roll over and play dead? She stopped and gave him a long, calculating stare. Then her black lips curled in contempt. Ah, so that's it, said the poodle. So that's your dirty game. You just sit back and everything falls into your lap. The house, the money, the curio shop. And you won't have to wait very long, right? Cute little peaches mimosa won't last long once Rusty's done with her for wishing on the deal. 
Bad Toby. Bad Toby. God, and I thought cats were disgusting creatures to deal with. I'm sorry if this puts you in wrong with Rusty, said Toby, but I... Peaches silenced him with a look. Kill Pegrave, she commanded. Avenge me! Avenge your uncle! Maybe you should just forget about revenge, said Toby. Forgive and forget. Uh, don't animals believe in forgiveness? Peach's mind was elsewhere. Hardly, she said absently. We'd never have gotten so far as we have if we did. Her eyes looked tired and worried now. All right, all right, tell you what, she said, licking her lips. Do it. Kill Bergrev, and I'll teach you the earthquake bit and rat. Toby had to laugh. Rat? he said. Why would I want to learn rat? Rats have the cure for human prostate cancer, Peaches informed him. We were chewing the fat down in the cellar, and the subject just happened to come up. They told me they've got the cure, and rats don't lie. A guy fluent in rat might be able to coax it out of them. I'm not saying it'd be easy. Rats are real haughty, stuffed shirt types. Men might have to, you know, crawl a little. To rats? Peaches nodded earnestly. You've got it. I see something like secretary week, only bigger. Maybe a rat month. A take a rat to lunch kind of thing. I see Disney filming a rat named Cuddles. Every creature likes to be loved and esteemed. We know where the rats, and you'd be a hero to your kind and gender. There goes good old Toby boy, they'll say, who warns us before earthquakes and stamped out prostate cancer. What do you say, Toby boy? Is it a deal? Here, Rusty hurried into the room and returned to his place on the windowsill. Toby had only enough time to answer the poodle's pleading look with a small, firm shake of the head when Lita and Dr. Hill came into the living room, supporting each other arm in arm and clumsy with drink. The good doctor says the accommodations are to his liking, announced Lita. Everything's to my liking, smirked Dr. Hill. Lita smiled. He could move in tomorrow. If you'd lend a hand, there's a good Toby, she said. Early the next afternoon, a small rental van pulled up in front of the only shoveled parking place on the block. Shaking his head at human naivete, Dr. Hill got from behind the wheel, took the kitchen chair left there to claim the place, and tossed it into a snowdrift. While parking the van, he suggested that Toby consider him a spy in the enemy camp. Toby pretended to go along with that, but he was done with Dr. Hill and Lita Belgrave. He wasn't going to kill her, that was for sure, and Peaches was right. The police wouldn't be able to prove she'd murdered Uncle George, and Peaches was right about something else. Toby knew he would do nothing. He would just wait, and when the time came, he would come into his inheritance. Later, when everything had been carried upstairs, Dr. Hill bragged of his special spaghetti sauce and offered to cook them dinner. Toby declined the invitation, but volunteered to watch Peaches until they got back from grocery shopping. He'd thought things over during the night. He wanted to speak to the poodle again and offer what help he could on the matter of Rusty, making it clear that he meant anything short of harming the animal. When the shoppers left, laughing like children on an outing, Toby went into the living room, but Peaches wasn't there. It suddenly occurred to him that he hadn't seen the dog at all during the moving-in process. He went to the cellar door and called down to the darkness. Nothing. With growing alarm, he went out into the first-floor hallway when he came face-to-face -face with Rusty. 
He had never realized until that moment how sinister in every way that cats were. Rusty promptly turned around, and with a beckoning look over the shoulder, the animal led him up to the door of Uncle George's old second-floor study and left him there. Toby pushed the door open tentatively, not sure what horrible thing he was going to find. Peaches was waiting for him, her chin on the arm of the black leather sofa. "'Thanks for coming, Toby boy!' she signaled, seeming in much better spirits than at the end of their last meeting. Toby said, "'I've been looking for you all over. I was afraid something had happened. I just want to say that if there's anything I can do to help you out of this fix with Rusty.' "'Thanks. I appreciate that. I really do,' said Peaches. "'But that's all taken care of. There's more than one way to skin a cat.' No problem. Toby felt very relieved. I'm glad, he said. Peaches nodded her appreciation, then said, The reason I sent the cat to get you is because I misspoke yesterday. We poodles value truth, so I'd like to set the record straight. Remember when I told you animals don't believe in forgiveness? Well, I'd forgotten gerbils. Gerbils always forgive. Maybe that's why they make such easy victims. I just thought you'd like to know. I do, beamed Toby. I really do. Glad to be of help, said Peaches. Don't close the door on your way out. Toby went back into the hall with a light step. Peaches' words had lifted a heavy burden from his heart. Gerbils forgave. Toby was still smiling when he took his first step down the staircase and suddenly found the poodle underfoot. Dr. Hill dumped the bag of groceries on the hall table and rushed to the foot of the stairs where Toby's body lay, the head cocked oddly, the face veiled with blood. Call an ambulance, he said. While Lita ran for the telephone in the living room, he knelt down beside the body and cursing felt for a pulse. Forget the ambulance, he said, then sucked in his breath and moaned. Oh my God, his eyes! What's happened to his eyes? Lita hadn't gotten farther than the living room doorway. Owen, she whispered hoarsely. Come here. Come and see what the cat's got. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.